But, uh, you know, God gave me enough voice to finish, I think, today. So here we are. I told you before about a an ill-fated camping trip that Carrie and I took. Uh, it was actually, I found out this morning, in 2006. I went and found the picture. So not 2008, 2006, where we went to a place called Lost Lake up in Colorado. It's up off of Keebler's Pass outside of Crested Butte at 10,000 feet. And uh, it was uh, cold at night, to say the least. And uh, we drove a Nissan, so we couldn't make it very far back up into the campground. And we sleep in the tent. We don't have the RV lifestyle. So we had a tent with no tarp on the ground at 10,000 feet. And it was rocky and it was slanted. And Carrie had gotten uh, smart that year, she said, and bought her a mummy sleeping bag from Walmart. <laughs> it was nylon. So I was in my old-fashioned Coleman sleeping bag with flannel, and I was nice and cozy and fine and laying there, and I get up in the middle of the night, and Carrie is sitting up, sitting in the corner of the tent and glaring at me. So, <laughs> <laughs> ready to leave? I'm not doing this again. So we got in the car and left. And uh, I've driven the mountains a few times in my life, but that day we were trying to figure out where we wanted to go. And so we decided at first we were going to go try to see her cousin out in California. And so we took off kind of in that direction. If you've ever left Gunnison, there's not a whole lot of ways to go to California from Gunnison. So we took off and we went and ended up in Uray. You ever been to Uray, Colorado? Well, we had to go from Uray to California. There's only one way to do that. And that's the Million Dollar Highway. You ever driven the Million Dollar Highway? The reason that's called the Million Dollar Highway is, uh, I mean, it being also insurance, honestly, but no, um, there are million dollar views everywhere because it is about a 30 mile drive that takes you about three hours. I mean, because it's just switchbacks up and down and everything else. And I remember getting halfway through and looking at Carrie and saying, why did we do this again? Why did we decide we want to go see your cousin? I don't love her that much. This is the most horrendous drive ever. I mean, it was just, I don't want to do this anymore. Because yeah, my brakes were overheating. We stopped at the little roadside park there in the midway point. Just look at each other. There's a picture of me, and I didn't, I didn't put it up here. Where uh, I'm just leaning on the car. Glaring back at Carrie. She glared at me overnight. I'm glaring at her at this point because this was one of those drives. I mean, it was just like, no. And we're only halfway through. The worst is yet to come. When I went looking this last year, the Million Dollar Highway is rated the most dangerous drive in all of America. And one of its passes is number three. So you have the whole drive and then one of its passes. It's just, it's a horrible, horrible thing. But it's beauty. And in the midst, I couldn't see what was all around me. When we go back now and I look at the pictures that she was able to take, because I didn't hold the camera when I was driving that way. The pictures that she took along the way, <coughs> I began to see the beauty. I've driven it again since then twice. I don't mind it now. But when you're in the midst of it, you don't see the beauty that's there. 
you don't see the things that are going on around you. And those are now some of our greatest memories when we look back. We still talk about that trip. We've been on countless vacations since then. We've been to other places. We've done things that were probably more enjoyable. But that trip and that vacation stands out in our minds because it was something that was special. And many times in life, we end up that way. It was the same for Israel as we finish out our series on Malachi this morning. When we're in the midst of trials, when we're in the midst of a situation, it's hard to see the whole picture. It's hard to see what exactly is, is going on and how God is going to use all the things that are happening in your life. <clears throat> the end of Malachi, honestly, is a charge that God brings that talks about just this, that talks about bringing our focus back, bringing our perspective back. And, and we're going to finish out there in the last part of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4 today, starting in verse 13, where God begins to speak to the people. And He says, Your words against me are harsh, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we spoken against you? You said it's useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping His requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of hosts? So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. At that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before Him for those who feared Yahweh and had high regard for His name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, a special possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. So you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve. For indeed the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant, everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of hosts, not leaving them root or branches, but for you who fear my name. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day I am prepared, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances I commanded in Horeb for all Israel. Look, I am going to send Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land curse. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessings. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your word, for the truth that it contains. Father, be with us now and use me as the best of the words that I speak to yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his and all God's people. Amen. God paints a picture of himself here that has many human qualities picture of a God who is indeed phased by the things we say. Too often we, we picture God as being this force that is unmoved no matter what we say about Him or to Him. You know, God's our Father, the Bible tells us. And uh, children tend to think that mom and dad should take anything that we say to them, right? And it's not until you're a parent that you realize just how much those words stick. I look back on my life and the things that I said to my parents. And 
if there are things in my life that I regret and those things that I said that were hurtful, that were hateful, that were mean-spirited, that I said in order to get a reaction or a rise to be manipulative. The word he uses here that's defined harshly really is translated as stout, arrogant, or sharp, a sharp word. And the meaning, the real meaning is to grow strong. But your words have grown strong against me. When you say these things about me, they're untrue. They have no merit. They are baseless. You've become arrogant in the things that you say. Israel does what we do. I said, what do you mean? What did we say? What did we say that was so wrong, God? What did we say? You ever been there? I know I was as a child. I know my children do it all the time. Well, what did I do? It wasn't me. Turn about that last week, right? What did I say? How often do we react to being caught by God is that He didn't see or hear exactly what we've done. Now, anybody else have children like that sometimes? You've watched them hit their brother or sister and you say you shouldn't hit them. Well, I didn't hit them. I just pushed them. It's the same thing. God, when we say to Him, God, how, how do we do this? What do we say to you? What does God do? Well, I told you what you did. Well, we didn't do that. Yes, you did. I was watching you. I saw what you did. Look at the characteristics of these people and ask yourself if you may be counted among them. They sit in judgment of God rather than submitting to God. They're self-absorbed. When they don't get their way, they blame God. And they spend their life comparing their blessings to the blessings of those around them. They're focused on the seeming prosperity of the wicked, but they've lost their eternal perspective. They've lost their reason worship. That's what's going on here. They become self-absorbed. They become people who are so concerned that so-and-so is getting blessed and I'm not getting blessed. They got a new TV and I didn't. They got a new car and I didn't. Here's the one that kills me. How many of us think about this? <clears throat> well, they got away with that and I didn't. <laughs> we get mad about that, don't we? They got caught. How many of you were at the game yesterday? How many of you got mad when they missed the foul on the other team? How many of you were mad when they missed the foul on us? <laughs> it's the same thing, right? That's how we do it. We look at God and we say, well, God, well, they, she got away with that. How am I in trouble? We're, we, they focus on other people. They focus on their prosperity. They focus on where they are. And when, when we're focused on other people, we've lost our reason to worship. When we're focused on everybody else, we've lost our reason to worship. Because we shouldn't be focused on everybody else and what they have or don't have or what we don't have and they do have. We should be focused on who God is and what God's going to do. And throughout this passage, God gives us some promises for those who serve God. And the first one he gives is that God takes note of those who serve him. He takes note of those who serve him. He says, those who fear him came together. And a notebook was written. A list was made. A book of remembrance was, was written down. He listens to those who serve him. He marks it down in a book of remembrance. I remember back when I was 16, 17 moved to Perrin, I uh, started a drama group 
We call it all God's children because we were all from different denominational backgrounds. And we we had a it was mostly an Easter program that we put on. That we would go to different churches and do the Easter program. But the uh, Star Telegram had a talent show. And you had the tryout. It was on stage at Casa Mignon. And I remember going, putting that all together, and going to the tryouts. And then you had to wait. You had to wait for the list. You had to wait to see if your name was marked for remembrance in order to be part of the show, in order to be able to show the talent that you brought. Maybe you've had similar lists. Maybe there are things that you've had to wait to see if your name was on. You've had to wait to see, okay, is my name really there? Is my name marked down? Am I on the list? One of the promises that God has for us is that He takes note of those who serve Him. He keeps track of it. He knows who you are. Give that some thought for just a minute. Just, just settle that in and think about it. God knows who you are. He knows you. He sees you. He takes note when you serve Him. He sees those things. And, he, and, and for lack of a better word, God doesn't have to write it down, but for us to understand, He says He writes it down. He takes note. Do y'all take notes throughout the day? I have notes throughout my phone. Sometimes I don't even know what they mean. I've written so many notes down. I can't remember what I wrote down for. But God remembers. He writes those notes down. He knows. He takes notes of those who serve Him. He also says that God claims those who serve Him. I will claim them. You will be mine. You will be mine. How many of you have ever looked at your spouse and said, those are your kids when they were acting a certain way? Right now, they are yours. They are not mine. God claims us. He's not, he's not ashamed of us. He claims us as His. His special possession. When we serve Him, He says, they're mine. They're mine. That's who it is. He is mine. That's amazing. It's amazing to know that God is going to claim us. Going to put His thumbprint on us and say, they belong to me. They're mine. He claims us. <coughs> Do you remember picking teams in gym class? You remember that, that whole thing? You're standing in gym class. <coughs> you really hope you have good friends because your good friends, even if you're horrible, they should pick you. The worst is when your friends don't pick you because they know you're bad and they want to win. So. But you stand there hoping somebody's going to claim you because you want to be claimed. You don't want to be the person who's not claimed. But God says that He claims us. You know, I've, I've always read that story back in the day of when we get there to heaven, the courtroom scenario of heaven, when we stand before the judgment seat of God. Y'all heard that story? Where we are called up onto the stand because there we are, we are going to be judged. And God begins to go through the books and he sees the things that we've done. And the witnesses are there. The people who say, well, they didn't do what they're supposed to do. But then what happens? Jesus stands up and says, hey, daddy, he's mine. I paid for that. I took care of that. I claim him as my own. And because I claim him as my own, he gets to go. He gets to be there. 
It's amazing sometimes what being claimed will get you. If you're claimed in a will, you get what's coming to you and left to you in that will. You're claimed. You're given an inheritance. You're given something. God will claim those who serve but it says God will also treat those who serve him in a special way. As a man has compassion on his son. You know, often we have a hard time coming down on our children, right? Because as bad as they can be, we love them. You already got some joy part. You're going to trample over the ashes of the other people. 
I went, ooh. But it says our joy is going to be so full that we're not going to care about those things because God has restored what He has promised. We spent years in churches building this theology for people that scares them. Right? Most people, if we talk about the book of Revelation, we go, oh, right? But the whole point of the book is we win. That's the whole point of the book. If we're reading anything else into it, we're, we're stretching. That's the point of the book. We win. Jesus overcomes. And we get ushered into His kingdom. It says the exact same thing in the book of Revelation that it says in Malachi chapter 3 and 4. It's the exact same message. A day is coming when the wicked will be destroyed and God's people will be healed, raised up, and given full joy. We have nothing to fear. The final word God has here is keep the law. That's the law of love for us. I don't have to worry about these things back here because if I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and my neighbor as myself, the rest of this falls into place. All of it. You know. Oh, I'm conclusion. Okay. There's a lot of people right now that are driving to Kentucky. They're driving to Kentucky to experience revival. Why? You can experience revival right here. You don't have to drive halfway across the country and go somewhere else. What brings revival, what brought revival at Asbury, what's bringing revival at college campuses around the world right now are people, students mostly, coming to the conclusion that they need Jesus and desperately crying out. And guess what? There's no, there's no big light show or rock and roll bands or anything else. There's a guitar and a drum and there are no words on the screen. There's nothing but people crying out to God saying, God, give me more of you. We don't have to go to Kentucky to experience revival. Just serve God and cry out for more of Him, revival would fall in this building. Amen. That's all it takes. We don't have to go somewhere else. God is working. God is working in Lapan, Texas. God is doing great things. And sometimes we don't share those things enough. We have no problem talking about the negative stuff, but the positive stuff we're afraid to tell people about. But God is working and He's doing great things and He's moving in a mighty way and He wants to break forth in revival. He wants to blow this place open. Amen. And all we have to do is say, yes, Lord, give me more of you. That same message is repeated time and time and time again throughout Scripture. And even the one He sent before He came, the Elijah before He came said, what? I must decrease and He must increase. The way to revival has always been the same. It's not 17 hours in the car to go to a place because God doesn't live at Asbury University. God lives in the hearts of His people. 
And all we have to do is say, God, I want more of you and less of me. Fall upon us. Give us the outpouring of your spirit so that we can see your power. That's it. That's where revival is. That's what the book of Malachi is about. Return to me, God says, and I will return to you. Maybe this morning, maybe you've been struggling because life is a struggle. Lay the burden down. This morning, as I read in my own quiet time, I can't keep track of the ones with Dr. Stanley because they all run together at this point, but we wait on Him. If we allow His, His power to work, not our power, the doors will get flung open. That's what's happening in Kentucky. That's what's happening in the other places. And waited upon God. Maybe this morning you want to you want to lay your bullet burden down. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe it's for admissions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. Maybe you've never known the one who opens up all of these promises to you. Now's the time you walk down some other tree. I want to know Jesus, and we'll go from there. It's not hard. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever you need, give a ten. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessings.